This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's UnderdogFantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PITCHERLIST and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, your solo podcast host for the week. John yet again has a busy schedule this week, so I'll be your main source of information for the week. Hopefully, it will suffice. Now, this week for me has been crazy. Fantasy playoffs have begun in most of my leagues. The NFBC leagues are coming down to the wire, all of the Roto leagues. It's all coming down to the wire for me, each and every league. It's actually crazy. This is the closest any of my playoffs, my NFBC standings, anything has been in a long time for me. So I'm hoping to have an even better season than I did in 2021, which I would say was my best fantasy year ever. I won three leagues out of five. Two of them were big money. One was my home league. So it was really a great season for me. And I'm hoping to replicate that this year. If I can win my home league again, that would mean the world to me. If I can come in the top three in my NFBC money league, that would be awesome. I'm in fourth right now in that league. In TGFBI, I'm in the top 200 overall. I've snuck into sixth place in my league. So Things have been going really well towards the end of the year, and I'm hoping they stay. So fingers crossed for me. I hope all of you are doing well in your fantasy playoffs or in your standings for Roto Leagues. Whatever situation you're in, I hope you are killing it. So let's all cross our fingers for each other and wish each other the best of luck because we're going to need it. Let's have a great rest of this weekend. But before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter or X at ThisWeekPL, and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, we're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, and please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. It would help us out greatly, so please leave a five-star review. We thank you very much. Now, moving on to the MLB news since our last podcast, 
We start with Shohei Otani of the Angels. He's missed 11 straight games with right oblique discomfort. He's yet to be put on the IL, but he is currently dealing with a torn UCL in his right elbow, as well as this oblique issue. So we'll see if he plays this weekend at all, or if he's shut down for the season. Regardless, he's had a great year, and it's really unfortunate that it had to end like this. It might have been one of the best seasons of all time. It still might be. But who knows where he would have finished, pitching-wise, hitting-wise, if he just stayed healthy. But hopefully Otani is okay, and he'll be performing amazing next season. Max Scherzer of the Rangers was placed on the 15-day IL on Wednesday, September 13th, after being diagnosed with a low-grade strain of the teres major muscle in his right shoulder. He will miss the remainder of the regular season, and he'll likely miss the playoffs as well. Josh Young of the Rangers could be activated from the IL ahead of Monday's series opener against the Red Sox. Young is recovering from surgery to repair a fracture in his left thumb that he underwent on August 9th. Mitch Garver of the Rangers left Thursday's game against the Blue Jays after fouling a ball off of his foot in the fifth inning. X-rays were negative and Garver was diagnosed with a foot contusion. However, he was back in the lineup on Friday. Jason Dominguez of the Yankees underwent Tommy John surgery on Wednesday to repair the torn UCL in his right elbow. The expected recovery time is 9 to 10 months, which means that Dominguez will probably be out until the middle of the 2024 season. Jazz Chisholm Jr. of the Marlins was out of the lineup on Thursday against the Brewers after tweaking his right knee during Wednesday's game. However, he was back in the lineup on Friday. Shane Bieber of the Guardians threw 3.2 innings in a rehab start. He struck out four, gave up two runs, one earned, with zero hits, one walk, and two hit-by-pitches. He managed to get his pitch count up to 50 and is expected to take one more rehab start before returning from the 60-day IL. Yu Darvish of the Padres has officially been shut down for the rest of the season, according to Dennis Lynn of The Athletic. He's recovering from a bone spur in his right elbow that landed him on the IL on August 28th. Jamer Candelario of the Cubs was placed on the 10-day IL on Tuesday, September 12th with a lower back strain. Adbert Alzale of the Cubs was placed on the 15-day IL on Monday, retroactive to September 10th, with a right forearm strain. Julian Merriweather appears to be the favorite for saves for the Cubs if you're looking for a name to replace him. O'Neill Cruz of the Pirates won't return in the 2023 season. Manager Derek Shelton announced the news on Tuesday after Cruz has run into a couple of minor setbacks in his recovery from surgery to repair a fractured left fibula. He should be fully healthy and ready to go in 2024. Ronnie Mauricio of the Mets missed two straight games due to an illness. He was back in the lineup on Friday. Christian Yelich of the Brewers missed six straight games due to a stiff back. He was also back in the lineup on Friday. Mark Hanna of the Brewers has missed two straight games due to a sore left wrist. He received a cortisone injection on Wednesday and was able to return on Friday. Michael Conforto of the Giants was activated from the 10-day IL on Friday, September 15th. He's returning from a strained left hamstring and is skipping a rehab assignment. Nolan Gorman of the Cardinals was placed on the 10-day IL on Wednesday, September 13th with a grade 2 right hamstring strain. He could possibly miss the remainder of the 2023 season. Wilson Contreras of the Cardinals was out of the lineup on Wednesday due to a bruised hand. However, he was back in the lineup and catching on Friday. Kenley Jansen of the Red Sox was placed on the COVID-19 list on Wednesday, September 13th after testing positive for the virus. Felix Bautista of the Orioles is dealing with a partial tear of his UCL, but the Orioles maintained hope that Bautista will be able to pitch again in 2023. 
The Orioles plan to take a conservative approach with Bautista's recovery from the acute ligament injury. He's already resumed playing catch and hasn't received any PRP injections for his right elbow. General Manager Mike Elias noted that surgery isn't necessarily off the table for Bautista, but the Orioles are likely to wait until the offseason before exploring any potential procedure. And last but not least, before we get into the prospects, John Means of the Orioles was activated from the 60-day IL and started against the Cardinals on Tuesday, September 12th. He went five innings pitched, gave up three earned runs on five hits, with no walks and one strikeout. Not the best or worst start, but it's just nice to see Means back out there after undergoing Tommy John surgery in 2022 and experiencing various setbacks during his rehab, such as a back issue. Welcome back, John Means. Now for the prospects that were called up over the week, Heston Kierstad was called up by the Orioles on Thursday, September 14th. He pinch hit in the game and went 0-for-1. Kierstad was ranked as the 24th best prospect on MLB Pipeline's top 100 list and ranked the third best prospect in the Orioles system. Pete Crow Armstrong was called up by the Cubs on Monday, September 11th. Crow Armstrong was ranked as the 12th best prospect on MLB Pipeline's top 100 list. And between AA and AAA this season, PCA hit 283 with 20 home runs and 37 stolen bases. Fun fact about Pete Crow Armstrong is that his mom, Ashley Crow, was the actress that played the mom of the 12-year-old manager in the movie Little Big League. Pretty cool. It's a nice little fact there. I didn't know that until I was watching the Cubs game and heard them talk about it. So pretty cool fact there. Pete Crow Armstrong was also the centerpiece of the trade that gave the Mets the worst two months of Javier Baez with the whole thumbs-down debacle, so that's fun. So hopefully you have a good career, Pete Crow Armstrong. I'll forever be upset that you're not a Met, and instead we had Javier Baez. Just awful. And lastly, we have Sawyer Gibson Long, who was called up by the Tigers on Sunday, September 10th, and made his MLB debut against the White Sox. He went five innings pitched, gave up two earned runs on four hits, no walks, and five strikeouts, securing a W in his first ever start. Gibson Long had a 4.33 ERA, 1.13 whip, and a 126-29 K-to-walk ratio in 99.2 innings pitched between AA and AAA. His next start comes against the Angels on the road, so maybe you want to use him, but I'd probably avoid it. So that wraps up the news and notes from this past week. Now we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we will talk about the weekly performance recap. Stay tuned. This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? And you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's UnderdogFantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PITCHERLIST and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 year older, 19 year older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1 800 Next Step. In New York, call 1 8778 Hope and Y. In Tennessee, call 1 800 889 9789. 
All right, we are back and it's time for the weekly performance recap. Just a reminder, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles on the Pitcher List website. The hitter recap articles and SP Roundup articles are incredible resources to read through to see how players performed each day. But getting right into it, starting with the weekend, which was Friday to Sunday, September 8th to September 10th. Shout out to Ryan Amore, Kevin O'Brien, and Brett Ford for their hitter recap articles. Starting with the hitters on Friday, we have Trey Turner of the Phillies, who went 2-for-3 with a homer, 2 runs, an RBI, a walk, and a stolen base. In 34 games since August 4th, Turner has put up a 388-430-820 slash line with 16 home runs, 10 doubles, a triple, 41 RBI, 34 runs, and 6 stolen bases. For the season, he's now slashing 270, 321, 472, with 26 homers, 27 stolen bases, 94 runs, and 75 RBI. He was a complete dud for the first three months of the year, but if you held firm and are in the playoffs now, you are reaping the rewards. He sneakily entered himself back into the conversation of being a first to second round pick. If he didn't explode like this in the second half, he might have went in the fourth, fifth, sixth round even. So this was a pretty big boon to his fantasy value. Trey Turner looks like the guy we all expected. And hey, any player that goes to a brand new team always tends to struggle with that team to start. So I'm expecting a much more comfortable and better season from Trey Turner next year. Next, we have Carlos Correa of the Twins, who went two for three with a double, a homer, a run, an RBI, and a walk. Just a good game from Correa, who's had a pretty up and down season. And lastly, we have Evan Carter of the Rangers, who went 1 for 3 with a steal. In the seven games since he was called up on September 8th, he has a 294, 435, 471 slash line with one homer, three RBI, five runs, and two stolen bases. He's mainly been playing in the nine hole against right handed pitching, but if everything stays the way it is, next week the Rangers face nothing but right handed pitching. Carter could be a sneaky ad while the Rangers make a playoff run, so just keep that name in mind. Then for pitchers on Friday, we have Zach Gallen of the Diamondbacks, who went nine innings pitched, no earned runs, three hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts against the Cubs. Ace is going to ace. However, the Mets did torch him for six earned runs, which likely takes him out of the Cy Young race. But Gallen is having a fantastic season. Next, we have Mike Clevenger of the White Sox, who went seven innings pitched, no earned runs, three hits, no walks, and seven strikeouts against the Tigers. Clevenger now has five quality starts in his last seven starts. His stuff has been playing up a bit, a tick more velocity on the fastball. The changeup and slider are working well. He gets the Nationals and Red Sox for a two-start next week, and I may recommend him for a streamer recommendation at the end of the podcast. And then lastly, we have Jamison Tyone of the Cubs, who went six innings pitched, no earned runs, one hit, one walk, and nine strikeouts against the Diamondbacks. Moving on to Saturday, September 9th, we have the hitters, George Springer of the Blue Jays, who went 3-for-4 with two home runs, two runs, and four RBI. Springer has been really underwhelming this season. These two home runs brought his total to 19, and both Springer's slugging, which is 414, and OPS, which is 749, are down from a year ago. So, not good from Springer. But despite that, Springer is just one home run and one stolen base away from a 2020 season, so he's really not doing too bad. Next, we have Jordan Alvarez of the Astros, who went 2-for-3 with a double, a homer, two runs, two RBI, and a walk. He's just incredible. 
And lastly, for Saturday, we have James McCann of the Orioles, who went 2-for-5 with 2 home runs, 2 runs, and 3 RBI. This game snapped a 1-for-19 streak that he was on. Since the All-Star break, though, McCann is batting 267 with 3 home runs, 18 RBI, 14 runs, and 2 steals in 28 second-half games. So maybe in 2-catcher leagues, if you need a warm body or someone's injured, McCann has at least been good as of late, so if you need a catcher in a pinch, McCann is not the worst option. Then for pitchers on Saturday, we have David Peterson of the Mets, who went six innings pitched, three earned runs, eight hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts against the Twins. Love to see the strikeouts from Peterson, but the ERA and whip were a bit too high. He did get a quality start in this one, but the slider still isn't great. His results came strictly off the fastball being thrown at the top of the zone in this one, and the Twins just chasing it because they love swinging and missing. So David Peterson's been pretty decent, but we're not seeing the same stuff that showed his true potential. Next, we have Tariq Skubal of the Tigers, who went five innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts against the White Sox. Just dominant, 19 whiffs in this one. Skubal has been great ever since coming off of the injured list. Next, we have Kevin Gosman of the Blue Jays, who went eight innings pitched, one earned run, two hits, one walk, and 10 strikeouts against the Royals. Ace is going to ace, but then put up a stinker on Thursday against the Rangers. In that start, he gave up six hits, six walks, and four earned runs. Gosman is still a top five pitcher for fantasy, though, so no true concern. It just stinks that the start against the Rangers happened in most people's playoffs, so very unfortunate there. And lastly, for Saturday, we have Justin Steele of the Cubs, who went seven innings pitched, one earned run, six hits, no walks, and six strikeouts against the Diamondbacks. Another strong outing for Steele, who strengthens his Cy Young case, but Snell might have locked it up already. Strider is still in the conversation as well. It's going to be a very close NL Cy Young race, but I think it's Snell's to lose. Moving on to Sunday, the last day of the weekend, September 10th. For the hitters, we have Marcus Semien of the Rangers, who went 4-for-5 with a double, two home runs, three runs, and two RBI, just having a fantastic year. Tyro Estrada of the Giants went 2-for-5 with a triple, homer, run, and RBI. To start the season, Estrada was on fire, playing way above his head. Then he kind of cooled off for a bit, but now he's starting to heat back up. This was a great game from him. He has the rest of the weekend in cores as well, which I'm hoping he performs well in because I grabbed him in one of my fantasy leagues where he was dropped earlier this season, so hopefully Estrada can have a big weekend, but hopefully he's just good in general. And lastly, we have Jonathan India of the Reds, who went 1-for-3 with a homer, a run, an RBI, a walk, and a stolen base. This was India's first game back, and it was a really good one. It's pretty crazy that even though India has missed 40 games this season, he can still pull off a 2020 season, which shows how good he's been when he's been on the field. So, Jonathan India has been great. Now we move to the pitchers from Sunday. We start with Pablo Lopez of the Twins. He went 8 innings pitched, no earned runs, 2 hits, no walks, and 14 strikeouts against the Mets. Easily the best start in Lopez's career. He executed the Blake Snell blueprint to a T in this one. His fastball at the top of the zone returned 13 out of 36 whiffs for a 36% swinging strike rate. Aces are gonna ace. Next, we have a pitcher's duel in Yankee Stadium. Corbin Burns of the Brewers went up against Garrett Cole of the Yankees. And Corbin Burns went eight innings pitched, no earned runs, no hits, two walks, seven strikeouts. And Garrett Cole went seven innings pitched, no earned runs, three hits, no walks, and nine strikeouts. Just domination from these two aces. Corbin Burns had a no-hitter through eight, 
And the Brewers actually no-hit the Yankees through 10 innings, but ended up losing it. So what an incredible performance from these two. If you roster them, they are two of the best in the game, and you should be happy. And lastly, we have Hunter Green of the Reds, who went six innings pitched, no earned runs, one hit, four walks, and nine strikeouts against the Cardinals. Green finally started to look like himself and get the results at the same time. The walks are still a bit high, but his stuff is nasty, and it really showed in this one. Moving on to Monday, September 11th, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Andrew Abramo, we start with Logan Ohapi of the Angels, who went 3-for-5 with a double, two home runs, two runs, and three RBI. Believe it or not, Ohapi has 10 home runs in only 35 games. That's insane. I really like him for the rest of the season. I made sure to grab him in any two catcher leagues where he may have been dropped due to no IL spots like on NFBC. And I really like Ohapi for next year too. I think he'll go later in drafts due to being injured for most of the year with that torn left labrum. And he'll provide some solid power from the catcher position. So keep Logan Ohapi's name in the back of your mind for next season. Next, we have Willie Adamas of the Brewers, who went 3-for-4 with two doubles, a triple, three runs, and four RBI. He's kind of heated up as of late. In his last eight games, he's hit two home runs, has 11 RBI, and six runs scored. It's been a disappointing season overall for him, but he's still at 24 homers, 66 runs, 76 RBI, and four stolen bases, which is pretty good in the grand scheme of things. Next, we have Cedric Mullins of the Orioles, who went 2-for-3 with a homer, 2 runs, 4 RBI, and a walk. That homer was indeed a grand slam. Yandy Diaz of the Rays went 4-for-6 with a double, a homer, 2 runs, and an RBI. Matt Olson of the Braves, in a doubleheader, went 1-for-4 with a walk and 2 RBI in the first game, and 2-for-3 with 2 home runs, 4 RBI, 2 runs, and a walk in the second game. Olsen is up to a league-leading 51 homers now, which ties the Braves franchise record. The other player to have 51 homers in a season? Andrew Jones. I was shocked that Hank Aaron never had a 50-home run season. He just had 40 home runs eight times, which is just bonkers. It's crazy to think about that. So Hank Aaron, an absolute goat, but never had a 50-homer season. Matt Olsen will most likely take over that franchise record in this season. And last but not least, Michael Harris, the second of the Braves, also in a doubleheader, went two for four with a double, a homer, three runs, and two RBI in the first game. And then in the second game, went two for four with a homer, a run, and an RBI. Just an incredible bounce back from that first horrible month that Harris had. Moving on to pitchers from Monday from the SP Roundup article, If This Is Wrong by Nick Pollock. We start with Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers, who went nine innings pitched, no earned runs, six hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the Marlins. He threw 106 pitches in this one and obviously went for a complete game. Ace is gonna ace. Woodruff is awesome and is an easy top 10 pitcher for me next season. Maybe even top five. He's just been so good when he's healthy. Naturally, next we talk about Patrick Corbin of the Nationals, who went 6.2 innings pitched, two earned runs, five hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts against the Pirates. Great start from Corbin, but nothing to see here once again. It's Patrick Corbin. However, he did have 18 whiffs in this one, which is pretty impressive, so shout out to you, Patrick Corbin. And lastly, we have Reed Detmers of the Angels, who went seven innings pitched, three earned runs, five hits, no walks, and seven strikeouts against the Mariners. Surprisingly, Detmers threw 27 changeups in this start for 74% strikes as well. He had a dominant start here against the Mariners, of course, with no walks and seven strikeouts, but 
He gets the Rays and the Rangers next, and I think I'm just avoiding him everywhere. He might be able to be used as a streamer if you really need strikeouts, but I wouldn't take the risk with Detmers. Moving on to Tuesday, September 12th, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Mark Stubinger, we have Chris Bryant of the Rockies, who went 2-for-4 with a homer, 2 runs, 3 RBI, and a walk. It's great to talk about Chris Bryant when he's not on the injured list. Just being able to see that he is actually alive and performing is fantastic. And there's nothing like a bit of a revenge game for Chris Bryant against the Cubs. He's been great since being activated off the IL. He finishes this weekend in cores, but next week the Rockies are on the road. But the final week of the season, the Rockies play all of their games at home, so he might be worth grabbing if he's available on your wire. Next, we have Seiya Suzuki of the Cubs, who went 3-for-4 with a homer, 2 runs, and 3 RBI. For the season as a whole, he's slashing 279, 348, 474, and his savant page is very red. His hard hit rate is up 6% this year, and his WOBA is also up this season. Next, we have Brandon Nimmo of the Mets, who went 3-for-4 with 2 doubles, a triple, 2 runs, and a walk. Nimmo is interesting because he's been fantastic this year. Normally, he's not worth looking at unless you're in a points league or an OBP league, but Nimmo has a career-high 23 homers right now. He also has 81 runs scored, 60 RBI, and is slashing 267, 358, 460. I think he's a must-roster in 5 outfield leagues, and even has a place in 3 outfield leagues that use OBP. Next, we have Francisco Alvarez of the Mets, who went 1-for-3 with a homer, a run, an RBI, a walk, and a steal. That's two days in a row with a homer and a steal for Alvarez, which don't get too carried away. He only has two steals for the season, and he's probably not going to steal much, but two straight days with a homer and a steal is very nice. And lastly, Josh Donaldson of the Brewers hit his first homer in a Brewers uniform off of Edward Cabrera. Moving on to pitchers from Tuesday, we have the SP Roundup article, Buto the Line by Nick Pollock. We start with Freddie Peralta of the Brewers, who went 6.1 innings pitched, one earned run, two hits, no walks, and nine strikeouts against the Marlins. Aces, gonna, ace. Freddie has been incredible since July 26th, looking like his old self. A 3.79 ERA, a 1.10 whip, and 200 strikeouts in 156.2 innings pitched. Yeah, that works, Freddie. You are a beast. Next, we have Brian Wu of the Mariners, who went 5.2 innings pitched, no earned runs, 4 hits, no walks, and 8 strikeouts against the Angels. Then we have Carlos Rodon of the Yankees, who went 5 innings pitched, 1 earned run, 4 hits, 4 walks, and 9 strikeouts against the Red Sox. This was Rodon's best start of the season. He finally hit 96 miles per hour in this one, which is nearly fully back to normal. His velocity has been down in his previous starts. It's nice to see Rodon showing signs of life. I'm sure Yankees fans and fantasy managers alike are very happy. Zach Littell of the Rays went five innings pitched, one earned run, four hits, four walks, and nine strikeouts against the Twins. He got a ton of strikes with his splitter and sweeper in this one, but the one thing that he didn't get was a win. And lastly, we have Dylan Cease of the White Sox, who went 5.1 innings pitched, one earned run, four hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts against the Royals. Cease scrapped the knuckle curveball in this one almost entirely and focused on using the slider, which was excellent. It went 13 for 45 on whiffs and had a 38% CSW. I watched this entire start because I started Cease in one of my leagues in the playoffs, and he looked fantastic. That slider was filthy. Moving on to Wednesday, September 13th, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Jim Chatterton. 
Uh, these next two pain me to say because they're against me in my home league semifinal matchup. But Nathaniel Lowe of the Rangers went two for three with a homer, two runs, three RBI, and a walk. He hit a three-run homer off of Yusei Kikuchi, who I was starting, of course, to make Kikuchi lose his quality start and put the Rangers up by a good amount. He isn't having as excellent of a season as last year, but he's still having a great season. Lowe is slashing 277, 375, 436 with 16 homers, 79 RBI, and 85 runs. Next, we have another guy that just pains me to say. Mitch Garver of the Rangers went 2 for 5 with a homer, a run, and 3 RBI. Another Rangers player that's having a great season. Garver has 17 homers on the season and has a 152 WRC plus in 285 plate appearances. So nearly a full season of work for Mitch Garver, which you love to see. It's better that he's not injured. Next, we have Spencer Torkelson of the Tigers, who went two for four with a homer, a run, two RBI, and a walk. And lastly, we have Jose Ramirez of the Guardians, who went two for five with a double, a homer, a run, and two RBI. Ramirez has had a down year, but his down year doesn't look like many other players' down year. He's still slashing 278, 352, 483 with a 122 WRC+. Ramirez has 23 homers, 24 steals, 81 runs, and 75 RBI for the year. He may not be a top 5 pick in the draft, but he's still worthy of a late first round, early second round pick for sure. Now for the pitchers on Wednesday with the SP Roundup article Cherry Rom by Nick Pollock. We start with Blake Snell of the Padres, who went 6 innings pitched, no earned runs, 1 hit, 1 walk, and 8 strikeouts against the Dodgers. Well, that's two starts in a row with tough matchups for Snell, the Astros last week, and the Dodgers this week, where Snell just dominated. He's my personal pick for the NL Cy Young Award, followed closely behind by Strider and Steele. If Snell were to win the NL Cy Young Award this season, he'll be the seventh pitcher to earn the award in both leagues, joining Gaylord Perry, Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens, Roy Holiday, and Max Scherzer. Next, we have Hunter Brown of the Astros, who went five innings pitched, no earned runs, no hits, two walks, and seven strikeouts against the A's. A little no-hit action for Hunter Brown. Braxton Garrett of the Marlins went six innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, two walks, and seven strikeouts against the Brewers. The Brewers are just dreadful against left-handed pitching. Spencer Strider of the Braves went seven innings pitched, one earned run, four hits, two walks, and nine strikeouts against the Phillies. Ace is going to ace again. If he has two more dominant starts like this, he can really make a case against Snell for that award, but I still think it's Snell's to lose. And lastly, we have Christopher Sanchez of the Phillies, who went 7.1 innings pitched, 4 earned runs, 8 hits, 1 walk, and 10 strikeouts against the Braves. Despite the 4 earned runs, I mean, it is Atlanta after all, this was Sanchez's best performance. 21 whiffs and a 39% CSW for a golden goal against the best offense in the league, that's a huge win. 10 strikeouts as well, so great start from Sanchez, but this man has pitched great all season. If he's out there on your wire, you might want to use him for your final stretch. And lastly, moving on to Thursday, September 14th, for the hitters, we have Aaron Judge of the Yankees, who went 0-4 for 4 in Game 1 of the doubleheader, and 1-2 for 2 with a homer, 4 RBI, 1 run, and 3 walks in the second game of that doubleheader. 
Judge snapped a 5-for-34 slump with a grand slam in the second game of the doubleheader, which was lovely to see. As someone who has him in the playoffs in one of my leagues, I desperately needed something from him this week, and hopefully that grand slam is just the start of a hot stretch I certainly need it. Next, we have Corey Seager of the Rangers, who went 3-for-4 with a homer, 3 RBI, 2 runs, and a walk. If John was here, I'd ask him if he'd rather draft Corey Seager or Aaron Judge next season. And for me, I still lean Aaron Judge. I love Seager. John and I both drafted him in TGFBI. I know we own multiple shares of him. But I think shortstop is a little deeper than outfield. And I still like Judge's home run ceiling. Seager is incredible though. He has a 1070 OPS this year in 103 games. He has been otherworldly. And he makes a strong case to be drafted above players like Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez. It's just based on your team construction, I'd say. Next, we have Rafael Devers of the Red Sox, who in game one of the doubleheader went one for three with a run and a walk, and in the second game went three for three with a homer, an RBI, a run, and a walk. Trevor Story of the Red Sox went one for four with a homer, three RBI, and one run. He only played in the first game of the doubleheader. And lastly, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Blue Jays went one for four with a homer, two RBI, and one run. Moving on to pitchers from Thursday, we start with Kodai Senga of the Mets. He went six innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, two walks, and 10 strikeouts against the Diamondbacks. Someone who isn't getting enough love this season is Kodai Senga. He should honestly get Cy Young votes, and he could truly challenge Corbin Carroll for NL Rookie of the Year. I think it's still Carroll's award, mainly due to team context and incredible stats on a daily basis from Carroll, but... Sanga is making it insanely close. Sanga now has a 2.95 ERA, a 1.21 whip, and 191 strikeouts in 155.1 innings pitched. He's moved up to second all-time in Mets franchise history for strikeouts by a rookie pitcher. Pretty impressive season from Sanga, and I'm looking forward to watching him pitch next year. Next, we have Kenta Maeda of the Twins, who went seven innings pitched, two earned runs, four hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts against the White Sox. This was a great bounce back start from Maeda, who really only had one blip and Andrew Vaughn two-run homer in the seventh. The splitter went 9 for 38 on whiffs with a 71% strike rate, and that is really, really good. And last but not least, Mitch Keller of the Pirates went eight innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the Nationals. Just a dominant start for Keller, who has had a phenomenal season all year long. So shout out to Mitch Keller for semi-breaking out. That wraps up the weekly performance recap, and now we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll give you all some pitcher and hitter streamers for the week ahead. We'll be back after this. We are back, and it's time for some hitter and pitcher streamers. We'll start with the pitchers. Now, this is a little hectic because anything can change at the drop of a dime. It is the end of the season. Some teams are eliminated. Some teams have already locked in a playoff spot. People will get rested. But as far as everything stands, these three guys all have two start weeks next week, and I would run them all out there. So first, we have Mike Clevenger of the White Sox, who I mentioned before. He's 49% rostered on Yahoo. He has a two-start week against the Nationals and the Red Sox, both on the road. Clevenger's been really good. He's a bit of a cherry bomb, so he could explode at any minute. But I like both of those matchups, and Clevenger's stuff has looked good. Next, we have Ryan Pepio of the Dodgers, who's 60% rostered on Yahoo, a little bit more widely rostered, but... 
If he's out there, he's definitely worth using because he has a two-star week against the Tigers and the Giants, both at home. So I like Pepio a whole lot. If he's out there, go and grab him. And then J.P. Sears of the Athletics, who's 13% rostered on Yahoo, the least rostered out of all of these guys. He has a two-star week against the Mariners and the Tigers, both at home. So if I had to rank these guys, I would go Pepio, then Clevenger, and then J.P. Sears. So if you want volume, if you need a two-star pitcher with some pretty good matchups, I like all three of these guys, Pepio, Clevenger, and Sears. Moving on to the hitter streamers, we start with Chris Bryant of the Rockies, who's 55% rostered on Yahoo. Next week, he has six games all on the road against San Diego and the Cubs. So not the greatest matchups, but Chris Bryant is a very, very good player who seems to be catching a little bit of a hot streak. And remember, after this week, he does get games at Coors Field. So it might be worth grabbing him now, seeing if he rides out this hot streak and then having him in Coors Field. Next, as I mentioned before, Evan Carter of the Rangers, who's 10% rostered on Yahoo. He faces Boston for three games, and then he faces Seattle for three games next week, and it comes against all right-handed pitching as far as everything stands right now. And Evan Carter is only playing really against right-handed pitching, so if you need some speed, Evan Carter is a really good look. And last but not least, we have TJ Friedel of the Reds, who's 50% roster on Yahoo. Next week, he gets the Twins for three games and the Pirates for three games. And all of those games come at Great American Small Park. So I think TJ Friedel has the chance to have a pretty big week at home. So those are the hitter and pitcher streamers for the following week. Hopefully those guys will help you win a championship. If not, I'm sorry, but if they do, hey, give me some credit. But that wraps up this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter or X at ThisWeekPL and send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter or X at TheJohnKe, that's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E, and you can find myself on Twitter or X at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I've been your solo host, Lee. And we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.